Yeah. Well, and I think that's where one of the things you and I connect on, and I think share in common, is it just a deep commitment to authenticity. And and that's that's really at the heart of this work is that so many people it you know, you have to get really clear on who are you and what are you here for and what kind of contribution are you trying to make on the world and what are you willing to sacrifice for that? And you've gotta have answers with clarity around those things, not just for you, for your family and anyone else that that you uh, support or, or contribute to because and, and I, I agree. I think a lot of people, it's running away from as opposed to running towards. Welcome to Authentic Conversations with Ryan James Miller. Join Ryan as he speaks with top business leaders and influencers and hear how they've mastered the art of authenticity to achieve all that they dreamed of. As you hear from these leaders, seek not only to be inspired by their authenticity, but to strive for and master your own. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the podcast. Super excited today. I have with me uh, Jason Lauritsen. He is a keynote speaker, an author. He's a leadership trainer and so much more. I mean, as you know, when I um, give a brief bio, it literally is a brief bio. And we unpack so many different things uh, about uh, the person, their experience. And there are a couple of things that when I was introduced to Jason, I was really intrigued by. So I'm excited for you to hear about those things today. But for now, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. How are you, man? I, you know what? I'm doing great today. It's uh, it's beautiful outside. I'm full of energy. So I am excited to be here to chat with you. So let's do this thing. You know, it's so funny. Right before we went live, you said that, you know, it's the last warm day of where you're at uh, in Nebraska and it was 60. And today feels like a cool day for us finally in California. And it's in the 60s. <laughs> so it's just interesting how we're passing by each other. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It, it takes a special kind of mindset to live in the Midwest. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, I'm jealous, though. I mean, having seasons, uh, having something other than the craziness of California that we have, it's pretty good. Indeed. Nope. I, I love it here. Okay. So uh, let's dig in a little bit because there's a lot that, you know, we, we had a conversation offline, uh, I guess a week or two ago, and that was great. And uh, there's just a lot more to dig into. But um, how do you find yourself in the place you are today, uh, which uh, I know is advising organizations, you are working with some individuals one on one, you're doing some group stuff, you've written a book. And so how did you become the person you are today? <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a big question. I don't know by accident. I guess is probably the <laughs> is probably the most honest answer. I, you know, I I think that I've always been. I mean, I think from when I was really young, really little, I I uh, I was always kind of called towards um, sort of tilting at windmills, trying to you know make a difference or tackle big things, mm. and. I, you know, when I stumbled into the world of work out of college, I had the great misfortune or fortune, I guess, depending on how you spin it, of of having some really bad work experiences. And I think that that played a huge role in setting me down the path because I in through those experiences, it's like it can't this can't be how it's supposed to work. It just can't like it. Th this doesn't make any sense. And so I think I started 
getting curious and asking questions and searching for something better. Um, at the time, I didn't know that would become my life's work, but that is ultimately what set me down this path. And it was, you know, first in recruiting and sales and then corporate HR, and then that kind of peeled back. It was always kind of just trying to get deeper into it, deeper into it, deeper into it to figure out like, what is so broken? How did it get broken? And then uh, what do we need to do to fix it? And so that's really the arc of my career and how I ended up doing what I'm doing today. Mm. Yeah, and I know that, uh, again, from our previous conversation, uh, from your site, uh, from the little bit I've dug into in the book, you know, you talk about this idea that uh, work is a relationship and that ultimately, you know, creating relationships is the best way to engage employees, which is going to retain them. It's probably going to make them as productive as humanly possible. And so, um, you know, all of our knowledge really comes uh, in two ways, maybe three if we include accident, but either, you know, we're taught it or we experience it. And from what I've gathered from you, you've had a lot of experience and you talked about different roles you've played in organizations. So what were some of those, um, I, I don't know, more influential moments or seasons or roles that finally gave you that uh, that push, that drive to get out on your own and go enable or educate other organizations to enable them to do the same thing? That's a um, good question. I, I think for me, well, first off, I would say that I, I think I was born to, I'm, I'm, I'm hardwired to be an entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. One of the great ironies of my career is that, you know, I've dedicated my life to fixing the work experience for employees, for people. And yet I personally hate being an employee. I'm not very good at working for other people. I, mm -hmm. So my natural habitat is being, uh, is being an entrepreneur, being out on my own. Uh, so I, when I look back and think about the, the few sort of key moments, um, you know, I, I do think there was one particular job that I had early on where things were so dysfunctional. And I mean, every bit of like, if, if you've ever watched, you know, the watching the office on TV is like almost PSTD triggering for me. It was, it was, it was almost worse than that in some ways. I could tell stories all day about that place. It was insane. But I think because of the deep dysfunction of that place and living through it and trying to survive it and experiencing it, that really, I think, galvanized me around starting down this path or starting to try to solve it. So I think that was one. The second was my first corporate HR job, I got really lucky and I, I kind of joined a company that was right on the cusp of, well, I guess when I got there, we were on the cusp of a pretty tough spot. Like the company was financially in a pretty tough spot. And, and I walked in the door, it was an 800 employee company. I got there about right when it was like, we've got to fix this. And so there was all hands on deck and our leader, our, our CEO kind of elevated and we all had to really get focused on what mattered and reinventing the business. And over the course of over the course of about three years, we doubled revenue per employee. And wow. we played a huge role in that from an HR perspective. We did some really creative things from the HR side to reinvent work and that experience for people. So that I think was the second thing that showed me what was possible. And then I think <clears throat> I think the third piece of it was actually it was 
that same CEO is is the one that kind of set me free, I think, because he and he's still to this day still a mentor. But we we sat one day. I was I had said to my boss at the time, who was the head of HR, I told her that I thought I probably had to leave in the next year or two because um, I wanted to do more writing. I want to do more speaking. I want to do some. You know, I wanted to start expanding kind of this other part of my career. And she said. Um, she, she sent me, she's like, you need to sit down and talk with, with Doug, who was a CEO. And so we had lunch and I remember explaining this to him. I mean, this, I was a lunatic as a young guy, cause this is me like saying, yeah, I don't, I don't really need your job. I have to leave your job to go do this thing. Like it was insane when I look back on it, but yeah. he said, why does it have to be either or? He's like, we can make room for both. He's like, I want you to stay with me on this journey. Like, I'm going to need your leadership and and we can do both. And so that started, gave me the freedom or to start thinking about this other side. And I started creating that other side. And then ultimately that became the whole piece eventually. But he's the one that kind of helped me get down that path. So I think those are probably the three things that really, mm. really pointed me this direction. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, I, I can recall a few different times, you know, when I think about employee culture or challenges with culture and just, uh, you know, overall kind of direction of an organization, it, it usually brings me to more present experiences. But I think one of the greatest challenges that I had was um, years ago, years and years ago, I worked for, I went to work for an organization that at the time was a large family owned regional business, very successful, had been family owned for 60 years. Um, obviously, you know, there, there are some challenges, you know, when that's the case, but by and large, great culture, CEO is very invested into people involved, mm -hmm. wanted people to be happy. Literally, like if an employee would have come up to him and said, you know, I, I don't have money for lunch, he would have just pulled money out of his own pocket and given it to them in the moment. Like it was just like that. And then through the deterioration of his health, a couple of bad decisions, uh, he ended up selling uh, off the business to what became a publicly traded company or a large organ national organization became right. publicly traded. And through that whole thing, I really started to see the difference in investment into people, engagement, yep. care, concern, empathy, culture. Uh, and then what happens when you really are just looking at the top and bottom line and just the deterioration there. So it is it is so fascinating uh, when you're able to kind of step out and look back into those experiences to yep. see just how bad they are, right? It is. And, you know, that's a really great, a lot of times this work is, it, it has to become real for you. And I mean, I think through the journeys I described, you know, I went through three different, very different, when I was in corporate, I, I traveled through three different organizations. And in my case too, the organization I just described that had the great CEO, the downside of doing such great work that we did is the organization did get so successful and so valuable, he sold the company. Mm. And he sold the company to an organization that was our polar opposite. He didn't he didn't think that was the case when he sold it. And and then I had to watch for the next 20 months them systematically destroy everything about our culture that was good, you know, all that stuff. Uh. And so I think, and you could just watch, you could see the impact. And, and when you've been in it and you've experienced it, it's much easier than to have some pretty deep convictions about this stuff mattering. And it doesn't just matter to 
to the bottom line. I mean, we had some great financial results, and I've seen that happen over and over and over again. You know, great culture leads to great results long term. But you develop this conviction that you just trust that, you know, it starts with doing the right thing, getting a great culture, taking care of people, and then they will take care of the business. So you said something a while back that I'm, I guess I've said so many times myself and never really thought about it uh, too much. But uh, earlier you said that you, you know, kind of finally came to this place when you realized you couldn't work for anybody else. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what what was that for you or what is that for you that allows you to kind of draw that line and maybe we'll unpack a couple uh, uh, more thoughts, but just kind of broadly, why, why are you able to say that or why do you say something like that? Well, I've got pretty good evidence, I think, to, um, to that point. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been paid to leave my job twice, which is outstanding. It's the best way to leave an organization is to be like that, you know, because it was, and it wasn't necessarily because of a performance. It was because really I, I had done what I came to do, you know, I'm a transformer and, and, and so they'd give me a, you know, I'd come in because something was broken. Generally speaking, I would fix it. It would get working. And then I needed a new problem. I needed something else broken. And so then I become disruptive. After that, I start questioning other things and poking around. I can see brokenness everywhere and I want to fix it. But if it's not in my department, people don't appreciate you trying to fix their stuff. And so that would generally result in them saying, you know what, you're more you're more uh, trouble than you're worth at this point. We don't really want you like pointing out everything that's broken. So could you just please go away? Mm. And what I what I ultimately realized for for I guess for better or worse, the reason that I feel like I can't or don't want to be um, working for anyone else is, is accountability. I, I personally want it on my shoulders. I feel only whole when my success or failure, and I just say not on my shoulders because I've done, I've accomplished, I think nothing in my life without the support and help of other people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if I succeed or fail, I want that to be squarely on me. I don't want it to be whether or not I could, you know, persuade my CEO to do the right thing or think about something the right way. I just, I got tired of that. Yeah. And so I just rather be able to, you know, if I fail, I fail. I'll own that. I've failed a lot and I'll just learn from it and I'll pick myself up, dust myself off and keep going. Sure. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that that's really good for people to hear because, I feel like far too often people say, you know, I can't work for anybody else. I need to work for myself. And they don't really understand. Well, they definitely don't understand the implications of that, but they haven't really answered a lot of the questions because, you know, my pushback on people when they come to me uh, talking about wanting to start a business or wanting to go off or whatever um, is, do you really think that you can't do what you desire to do inside that organization or another organization, right? It doesn't necessarily take you going and starting a business for yourself in order to, you know, serve your life's purpose. Though, as it sounds like for you, and I think that for people that find true fulfillment in being an entrepreneur or running a business, starting a business, is you come to this place of understanding that whether you are 100% right or wrong, you being able to serve people and, and, and take action on the terms that you believe to be best are the are the most important thing to you. And I think that's something that's important for people. It is. Well, there's, 
you rightly point out that there's, I think, multiple layers to it. Like, you know, I answered that question based on there's because I get, you know, I'm sure like you, I don't I get asked that question a lot, too, about, you know, people are kicking the tires on going out on their own. And it's like I'm like, OK, let's talk about that. Let's let's unpack this a little bit, because there's the piece of can you can you do you have the fortitude are you insane enough to want to do this because there's a risk tolerance and an accountability failure tolerance all these things that have to be in place but but the other piece of it for me was i i'm a systems guy like i don't you know i came to a point where i realized like i didn't just want to fix work at one company I wanted to fix work with a capital W everywhere. I want to fix work for everybody. And for me to do that, I have to be outside the system. I had to, I had to unplug from the matrix so that I can work on the matrix. And that's, that's what I, so that was the other piece. I think most people think that's the piece that matters the most, but it's not because you can, you can, you can work on the matrix and and have an impact in your in your job when somebody's paying you a salary that's very comfortable um without all the the risk and the accountability and all of that so i think that's really wise counsel to it's like step back and really consider what you're after here because entrepreneurial life is a tough road until you know if you're not wired for it yeah yeah i mean it's 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 definitely you know in many ways over glorified and i think that you know when 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 that's told to people, people's response is, well, I'm passionate and I can do it. And it's like, look at this, this has nothing to do with whether you can do it or not. This has to do with whether or not it's the right thing for you to do. And and I think that far too often, again, people are, are using that as an escape from yes. really addressing yes. the the challenges, maybe that they're even a part of, which I want to get into and talk about with you, but you know, they're probably contributing in large part to the to the reasons why they're unhappy in their current environment. And instead of dealing with it, they're just going to escape, which either means I'm going to go get another job and another job and another job, yep. or I'm just going to go start something on my own because then I can do it all on my own terms. And it's like, slow down, guy. Like it's not quite that simple. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where one of the things you and I connect on and I think share in common is it just a deep commitment to authenticity. And and that's that's really at the heart of this work is that so many people it you know, you have to get really clear on who are you and what are you here for and what kind of contribution are you trying to make on the world and what are you willing to sacrifice for that? And you've gotta have answers with clarity around those things, not just for you, for your family and anyone else that that you uh support or, or contribute to because and, and I, I agree. I think a lot of people, it's running away from as opposed to running towards. And for me, yeah. this is like, for me, this is what I was called to do. I don't think yeah. there's anything else I could do at this point. This is just, this is anything other than doing sort of what I'm doing now would be divorced from my authenticity, I think. So yeah. I'm stuck with it. <laughs> well, and from what I've gained so far, both not just in conversation with you, but research and recommendations from other people, I think you're in the right spot. So I think that's, that you've that's, made a good that's decision. Good. That's good. <laughs> it's nice when that aligns. Not that you need my affirmation, but you know, I mean, it's there. It's there. Appreciate that. Uh, okay. So let's talk a little little bit about uh, organization and development and personal and professional development within that. So you have 
written this book and I, I don't think this is your first one if i if i'm not mistaken but maybe second, it is second yep, book second. okay so th but this this one unlocking high performance and you're talking about um that in the workplace particularly yep. and how organizations can invest into their people so i saw and i know that this kind of meme or this kind of funny joke has gone around many times but i saw this picture of uh, like a ceo getting out of a ferrari and the kind of narrative is the employee says to the ceo like oh my gosh you know what an amazing ferrari you know what an amazing car new car and he's like yeah thank you so much he goes look if you this is the ceo talking back to the employee he says if you show up every single day you work really hard and you continue to produce record profits over the next three years i'll buy myself another one and so <laughs> that's right you know i i, I it, it's quite entertaining and right. yet it's so true for a lot of organizations um, because it's, you know, let's let's grind out the bottom so the top can profit. Those aren't the type of people that you're really after. You're after people that want to invest into their employees. And so what does that look like? And, and how do you see or how do you begin to engage with them to help unearth some of these opportunities they have? Yeah, the... So I think, you know, again, back to this, you, you asked me what set me down this path and the CEO that I talked about where we, we really transformed things. I remember him saying to me that he thought of the organization as a vehicle for employees to pursue their dreams. Mm. And he meant it. He didn't, he, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a misplaced. And the weird thing was it was a debt collection company. So it wasn't like sexy work. <laughs> and a lot of people were on the phones and you're like, really, really? But, but I, he meant it. He, he meant it as a, that he understood that work is for a lot of people work is a, um, a means to an end, right? It's a way that they, they, some, for some people work is going to be their passion for, for people like you and I, like we love, I love my work. My work is like, that's what I talk about for fun, right? Uh, yeah. My yeah. work is my, my passion, but not for everybody. And he recognized that this is a vehicle that we want to uh, 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 provide to people. And so, so I, the organizations that I work with and the people that, tend to resonate with what I do come to me because they're trying to build a workplace that is more human. They're trying to create a workplace that works both for achieving organizational goals, but helping people achieve their goals or pursue their goals or figure out what that is. It's, it's a very human experience. And that goes back to this idea that I talked about. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on that work, all the research we have about employee engagement points to the fact that employees experience work as a relationship. It's, mm. you know, that when, when we are most productive, when we feel most whole in our relationship with work, meaning I feel valued and trusted and cared for and accepted um, and included, all of these things that are really relational in nature, that's when I, that's when I'm most engaged, that's when I'm most committed and most loyal. And so, the, the work that I break down in that book is really how do we build organizations where the experience of work feels like a healthy relationship. It feels, it gives me those things just through the, the process of doing my work. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a definitely a big believer in better humans make better 
and then just insert whatever it is they want to be, whether it's a worker or an athlete or a parent or a spouse or a whatever. So I can definitely see um, you know, that, you know, that that is the case. And that will definitely produce more as, as we're kind of using the word engagement, which is going to create um, just more productivity and opportunity at work. What are, what are some of the uh, kind of like early things that you begin to introduce for organizations and or individuals that are trying to identify, uh, you know, how, how they can get some early wins? Sure. Well, Probably unsurprisingly, a lot of it starts with um, there's there's basically two things I talk about over and over and over again, and it it, it it's clarity. Well, actually, three things I guess: clarity, um, communication, uh, and essentially love or appreciation. And so these are these are core fundamentals. You know, I spent and and even interestingly, I spent a few years leading the best places to work team at Quantum Workplace and had a ton of data that we were able to look at about what drives engagement. And it really boiled down to those same things. It's about, you know, how do am I am I really clear about my relation in the relationship, what's expected of me, what I should expect? Am I am I getting the kind of communication that makes me feel connected and that I understand what's happening? Happening and am I feeling appreciated and loved? And so, so when we break it down to tactically, uh, the first thing I tend to recommend almost to any organization that's looking to improve, whether organization, team, leader, whatever, is is to look at the manager-employee communication. And so that can boil down to, especially right now, where we're more spread out and distributed than we've ever been before. It's are you having regularly scheduled one-on-one conversations with your people. Mm. And in those one-on-ones, are you talking about, do you recognize that that time is, that's your employee's time with you to talk about the things that are most important to them and what they need. And so putting a basic, simple structure around it, um, you know, the, the magic question I used to always use, and I now coach leaders to use, is opening your one-on-one with, you know, what's the most important thing we need to talk about today? Mm. And then, and then listen, just shut up and listen and let them tell you, because if they trust you, or if you've built up any kind of trust, they will lead you to right where you need to go. And then you can address that because that's the thing that needs to be addressed that day. So that's usually where I start. So number one is the one-on-one piece. I think this, the other like tactical thing, that's really easy to get a, to sort of wrap your hands around right away is is to start just becoming thinking about ways that you can create more positive interactions or positive moments for the employees so that might be saying thank you just checking in with them um, spending a little time with them you know any kind of positive moments you can create Uh, those positive moments start to create sort of a a general feeling of positivity. This is out of psychological science. Um, Go pick up the book, How Full Is Your Bucket, if you want to get in a little more into the details on that. But but those are the two that I generally start with. Like those are the two easy go-to strategies. Gosh, those are, not only do those hit home, but they're just so damn good. So um, I, I remember uh, leading a sales team years ago, and my boss always wanted our one-to-ones with, for me to lead my one-to-ones with my team to be, okay, so where are you at with your numbers? How many appointments have you had? How many conversations have you had? And I'm like, 
look at we the numbers are in front of everybody obviously if there's some glaring issue we can talk about that but i'm i'm trying to help move these people into a better place for themselves because again if they're in a better environment if they're in a better place, they're going to be driving for more of their own success, which then we're going to benefit from. So I think that is a big problem, particularly in the sales world. And I know you, you know, you led sales teams and, um, you know, that that's just such a challenge because it's so metrics driven, which then also when you were talking about that leads me to think that, again, in sales organizations, too often, all we're doing is, is talking about rewarding and recognizing top line revenue or maybe profitability of that individual. And so what that ends up doing is, is that's producing this environment in which I, as a salesperson, am only going to focus on revenue and, and then I'm only going to focus on being compensated for my revenue. So I'm not going to invest anywhere else. I'm not going right. to care about anything else. And if I happen to have not as good of a month of, or, uh, as somebody else, then I just kind of feel like crap because I'm not the top dog. When in right. reality, a lot of times your best salesperson isn't your top producing one from a revenue perspective. So I really appreciate that you say that type of stuff. Yeah, it's, I mean... Golden rule. I remember this back from HR, but I used to always say like people do exactly what you pay them to do. So you have to be really careful about the incentives you put in front of people because they will. The money always talks. It doesn't matter what you tell them or say. The money always talks in terms of, of oh, this is where they're putting the money. That's what they want from me. Um, and that's like I, we could have a whole nother conversation, a whole nother day about commissions and sales incentives, because I think we've got that completely upside down. But but you're right. And what I would say, one of the ideas, too, that we've gotten really, really wrong that I that is probably my favorite part of of or the favorite thing I, I, I get into in the book is the the thing that we've gotten backwards about people, I think, that needs to be fundamentally addressed is that we, because most organizations don't treat work as a relationship, we treat it as a contract. And so when we get together for a one-on-one, -on -one, we do exactly what you just talked about, is I'm going to run down this list. I say, basically, it's a it's a checklist to make sure that the company's getting their money's worth out of you, right? I'm, I'm enforcing the contract. That's how most managers view their role. That's how most one-on-ones go. That feels really crappy to the employee. Mm -hmm. What the problem, the problem is there's an assumption there that we have to force people to do the right things. And what I, I grew up on a farm in Iowa and I was surrounded by I was surrounded by farmers. I watched how farming goes. And the thing, I, eventually this hit me later in life, was that when you look at farmers or gardeners or whatever that care for, they're caring for li other living things. They're trying to maximize sort of the growth and performance of these other living things. The thing I realized is that farmers spend literally no effort trying to motivate their plants to grow. Mm. None, because they're like, listen, they know that it is fundamental, it's hardwired into the genetics of those plants to grow and to become the best version of themselves, so long as they have everything they need and there's nothing getting in the way of their growth, there's no obstacles. I, I believe 
that human beings are no different. We are we are genetically wired for growth and performance, that our default setting is growth and performance. Our default setting is we will always choose succeed over fail. If we're given the option, every person I've ever met, I think nobody ever is like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to wake up. I think today I'm going to try to fail. I mean, pe <laughs> right. I, people don't do that, right? We want to succeed. And, and so organizationally, if we understood that and we started to think more like farmers, farmers call this work cultivation. Mm. If we started to think as cultivators, then what we would do is we'd realize as managers, my job, my job is to make sure that you have everything you need to be successful and that I'm getting any obstacles out of your way. If I do those two things, you will naturally take care of the rest. Mm. Like that is what a human organization looks like in my opinion. And there's not a lot of them out there like that. We're getting more, but, but uh, we got a lot of work to do. Gosh, that's good. That is so good. Okay. Another thing that as we've been talking, this just kind of uh, came to my mind and it's, so I feel like organizations miss on understanding why people are the way they are, why they're doing the job that they are and what they're really in it for in terms of what they're really in their life for. Right. So like, sure. what's your uh, long-term vision, purpose, desire, you know, because it, most people will quickly say, well, you know, I'm here to make money, to provide. It's like, okay, but what does that really mean? So right. do you see, and, and maybe do you do this work, but do you see organizations that have successfully uh, dug deeper into that? And as the result of that, they're, they're producing at a better level or they're retaining employees at a better level? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say yes, Anecdotally or broadly, I don't know that I can point right off the top of my head to some sort of business case that that specifically ties a practice to it. But what I would say is that the organizations that kind of goes back to authenticity, the, it, the organizations that perform at the highest level are, are I think, are, are those where people can most authentically show up and and contribute themselves in in the context of their work now that can mean that um and what it should mean is that i you know i'm an accountant let's say and i'm a good accountant and i show up and i'm going to do my work and i can do my work in my 40 hours a week what you ask of me and i'm really consistent and reliable and whatever but i don't have a whole lot of passion for accounting uh -huh. um, i have a passion for whatever. Let's stick with gardening. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I do my accounting job so that I have the money and the time and the flexibility to really have the, the most amazing garden in my neighborhood. Uh -huh. And that's what gets me all excited. Now, if I'm your manager, I need to recognize that. I should understand that. And I should lean into that because guess what? We need, we need great accountants and yeah. not every accountant. I think one of the fallacies that we've, we've brought into the workplace. And I know I used to be back to your point is like, we are often part of the problem mm. is I projected my, my aspirations on other people. And I think we tend to treat everybody like they're all the same. Like everybody wants to move up the corporate ladder. Everybody wants to be a manager. Everybody has these aspirations. Some people just want to come in and do a job they feel competent in and be appreciated for it and then be able to go home and do the things they really care about on the weekends um, or, you know, whatever. I think at, to me, 
yes, the organizations that are in that conversation with people are winning um, overall. I also think that what work should do, what work should do is help people should always leave people better than the way it found them. And I'm talking every day, every year, every month, every week, whatever that is, is that work should help me be more of what I am naturally, um, you know, sort of it should amplify, it should help me be more and find more and do more. So whether that's just, it maybe isn't about tactical lessons, I don't become the greatest accountant in the world, but I, I get, you know, positive reinforcement and confidence and all of those uh, financial security that helps me be more of the thing that I was born to be. And I, I, the organizations that are getting that and leaning into that, I think, are, are, are going to, if they aren't already, outpacing others. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I feel like I've said that a lot uh, today uh, or in this conversation. I just think that there is just such a richness in the experiences that you've had and then that, then the perspective that that brings uh, to the organizations you're serving, to the way that you see things. I just think it's so fantastic and so, so needed, especially in the season that we're in, which understandably, but unfortunately, more and more people are being looked at as a number, as a, uh, a burden on the books. And, you know, they're trying to figure out how they, you know, manage all of these people that they have and keeping them employed. And even though they care about them as people, they're still a burden on the books. And so I just feel like, you know, there's organizations out there seeking to do the right thing, seeking to attract and retain great people, seeking to build good longstanding cultures. And I just feel like everything that you have said to this point is just so valuable in that. Um, by the way, uh, uh, a quick commercial for that. So if you, uh, so a lot of my audience that listens is in the employee benefits world. So if you are a benefits broker, or if you are administrator in your organization and you reach out to me, I will personally send you a copy of Jason's book and I'll make sure you guys get connected because I actually feel like a hint, hint for you guys, this is a great sales tool for you to use to prospect to other organizations. Gifting a book like this, introducing this idea and you bringing this kind of value to an organization by saying, yeah, I can help you to manage your benefits holistically, but here's one area that I can really bring some additional value. So um, I, I, uh, I just thought that that would be a helpful thing to say right there. Um, one other thing, Jason, I did want to talk about. So last time we talked, uh, you were, I think, in the late stages of getting ready to launch, and this could be a disaster by me saying this, uh, launch a, a course of some kind yep. um, that you were going to give people the ability to digitally access uh, what you're doing. So where are you at in that whole process? It's actually, we're in the middle of it. Yeah, great memory. I it was uh, it's called managing virtual teams it's okay. a a live it's actually something i'm facilitating live cuz i miss i miss facilitating mm. live i miss that and so i'm i'm learning how to love doing it virtually and so uh, we did a class we enrolled a class that kicked off about a month ago we're in week four of six right now uh, managing virtual teams it's for managers who 
uh, this year sort of were thrust into the the role of managing a newly remote or distributed team mm. and um, giving them the fundamentals. So it's been it's been a ton of fun. The feedback's been great. I, I'm actually really enjoying it. I, I didn't know it's my first live virtual course like this mm. that I'm doing over the course of, of several weeks. And it's been it's been terrific. And we're going to be launching another another cohort, I think, early next year as a result of the positive feedback. Okay, so uh, so that would be another thing. If that's something that you're listening and and uh, that you know resonates with you, uh, I, I am no prophet, but uh, you will be managing virtual teams um, uh, far far into next year and probably years beyond as we kind of experience this new reality of work. So that's a great resource. Um, okay, so as we land the plane, and, and I feel like. We really just got started and I could ask you about 7,000 more questions, but I'm trying to be more time sensitive to my poor audience that listens to hours of me talking all the time. So uh, any kind of final thoughts, uh, anything that you really feel like we didn't talk about that would be really important for people to hear, or maybe just that one thing you want to punch them in the gut with before we leave? Mm. Well, I'm a little more weirdly weirdly um, because I'm a you know Gen X sort of skeptic at core but I'm I'm weirdly a little more optimistic I guess about what's happening um, what the pandemic has done to the world of work mm-hmm. and I say that with a grain of salt because I know so many people are unemployed and it's had sort of tragic impacts on a lot of people the cost has been very high mm-hmm. um, but we are at this point in time where leaders of organizations I mean, Let's if you just pause, if you think for a moment about what happened in March, and I actually heard somebody tell a story about this just last week, uh, that it's a a consultant that works with really large organizations. And one of his clients um, shared with him that that they had presented to leadership a week before a week before kind of the country got shut down in March, a week before they had presented huge company to leadership that it was impossible for their staff to work remotely from home, like impossible. (laughs) And then two weeks later, their entire workforce was up and running in work from home or remote. So here's the thing that's happened. A couple of things that have happened in the last year. One is that your BS is, is over. Like employees know now, like you were, we, they know, like they've been lied to about remote working capabilities. They've been, and so now they're, they're really skeptical. They know there's more possible. They're always going to be pushing back. And the reality is there's no unringing the bell. So if you think you're going to go snap back to Mm. the way it was, we're never going back to the way it was. The employees now know that something else is possible. They're not going back. And so that's number one, be aware of that. But the other thing, and, and, and I love that because what it's done is it's also caused leaders and organizations to open their mind. Like they've had to think broadly and more differently, and they're more open to suggestions about how we manage and how we treat employees and what we do around employees. They, they're, they're actually caring about well-being in a meaningful way for the first time maybe ever. And I, what I would challenge your audience to think about is, right, we've got an opportunity We've got a maybe a once in a generation opportunity to rewrite some things, to really change how things happen. And so take advantage, experiment, you know, lean into conversations with your people, with your employees, ask them what they need 
and uh, and try to give it to them uh, the best you can, but really lean into the possibility for change because we're, we're at this, we're reinventing what work's going to look like. And if we all kind of lean into that and push forward, we can emerge from the other side of this so much better than we were before. Hmm. Lean into the possibility for change. I think that is just a wonderful uh, way to cap this conversation. Um, so how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? And I'll make sure to, to pop this all into the show notes too. Sure. The easiest way is my website is jasonlortzen.com. Or if you, um, you can email me at jason at jasonlortzen.com or you punch Jason Lortzen into the Googles, you'll find a whole bunch of ways to find me. In my business, I have to be easy to find. So I should be easy to find uh, out there. So just as long as you can spell my last name, you're going to find me. L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N for those of you that need to know right now and can't even wait to look down in the show notes. Um, but that will all be there. Uh, well, Jason, I mean, I just, I appreciate it so much. Um, you know, uh, it, it seems to me that when somebody is referred to me to be a podcast guest, uh, those just end up being the richest conversations, uh, great relationships moving forward. So I'm sure that people are going to find a lot of value in our conversation. I hope to stay connected to you because I think there's a lot I can learn for myself is I lead myself, my own team, but then also just investing into other people. So just thank you so much for the time. I really, really do appreciate it. Likewise, Ryan, I look forward to uh, future conversations. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of Authentic Conversations. And I, I mean, this was just one that I, I want you to take in. I want you to soak in, not because it's my podcast, not because it's my guest, but because I believe in things like this as we move forward, whether you're leading a team, whether you're influencing other people, or maybe you're sitting at a desk right now and trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with the next year or 10 of your life. It's, it's, it's simple and yet very complex topics like this that are going to get you really far. So make sure to connect with Jason. Make sure to grab a copy of his book. If you can't buy one, I'll buy one for you. Be happy to do that. Uh, check out uh, the next course that he's going to be launching or cohort that he's going to be launching. There'll be a lot of value there. Other than that, if you got any feedback, questions, concerns, comments, you know where to find me. I'm here for you. Other than that, live the life that you've been called to live to the best of your ability. Take care and talk soon. Thank you for listening to Authentic Conversations with Ryan James Miller. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and share it with others. To connect with Ryan and learn more, visit ryanjamesmiller.com.